All right, everybody, welcome to the September 1st edition of Cascadian Views. JJ's out this week, so I've got Chris and Dan with me. How are you guys doing? Good. Hey, doing all right. Summer's over, or close enough to it. Yeah, fall is always uh, the start of the rainy season when things get dreary and all that fun. Um, we had a, a week of funerals. We just spent a little bit of time off air discussing Aretha Franklin's funeral. The one that will make the show, though, was McCain's. He had really a cross-country tour at, uh, at a certain level. He had a memorial service in Arizona. He then had a memorial service at the, the Navy uh, Academy. He then had uh, a bit of time laying in state at the U.S. Capitol, and there was an amazing photograph captured of that, uh, of his lone casket there with a the dome over it. I'll post that in the Facebook group when we're done here. Um, and then he had a, a actual funeral earlier today. Um, Barack Obama and George Bush gave eulogies to him. Um, there was a wonderful, cute little moment that went viral on social media of George W. Bush passing candies to Michelle Obama. Um, and that reminded people that those are actually pretty good friends. Those two get along pretty well. And I think it shows a very human side that George Bush always excelled at. I'd argue that's how he got elected, really. It certainly wasn't smarts yeah. or ability to be the president that got him there. It was that, uh, who would you rather have a beer with question that we all got tired of hearing back in 2000. Um, McCain's daughter spoke in a, a very powerful moment that reverberated around the nation. She uh, used as a call to action, I would think. Uh, almost spit the words out at one point talking about how America does not need to be made great again because America was always great. She got applause for that line. You don't often hear applause at a funeral, which I thought was uh, interesting. Especially a uh, rather political line like that. But yeah, yeah. I mean, all, on the whole, yeah, it was probably the, probably the most moving eulogy of the whole the whole service, uh, but I guess that's a little bit what you'd expect, you know, the daughter of the deceased, and clearly there's a very strong and powerful connection between those two. Now, Dan, you, I believe you made a comment in the Facebook group that uh, when we were talking about how this was opportunity for McCain to stick it to Trump, you made the point that he's also somewhat sticking it to uh, Obama and Bush, making them go up there and say nice things about him. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> that was something Obama directly referenced. He he, uh -huh. he said it was just like McCain to go out <laughs> and make him go up there and say nice things about him. <laughs> I think yeah, I, that that seems pretty accurate. Yeah, that. Yeah, I, I, I guess you know there there's a time you know when somebody passes where you kind of put things into a new perspective. But yeah, I mean there was a lot of quarreling between those two. Uh, while McCain was alive, and McCain made no secret about uh, having issues with Obama's uh, instincts as president, and uh, kind of cracking at him here and there throughout, you know, throughout the eight years that he was president, usually over foreign policy. But you know, there were other issues as well. But really, foreign policy was his focus. Uh, so, but again, it gets back to the theme that you were talking about: is just a a different type of politics than we are currently experiencing was uh, on display. You're, yeah. you're definitely right about him quarreling with Obama, but he did very conspicuously and, and actually literally at one point embraced mm -hmm. 
he right. he did a fair bit to push back on the Republican belief that Obama was illegitimate somehow, even as he you know raked him over the coals for not being a bloodthirsty tyrant. Right, right. Um, there was a bit of a, a kerfluffle in the lead up to this um, over flags of all things. There was uh, one widely shared shot. Uh, in fact, I believe every cable news outlet was using it for a while, including Fox, that uh, had the the White House flags at at full full staff with the Washington monuments behind it at half. This was apparently a very direct effort by the president to snub McCain. Uh, there were leaks out of the White House all week about this and about how Trump was furious over it and which aides tried to talk him down out of it and how he rebuffed them and a lot of covering your ass, but nobody seems to be resigning at the offensiveness of it all. <laughs> they they well, yeah. tell the press that they disagree, but they won't actually do anything about it. That's That's this whole last two years, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's not the same way as it was like the first couple of months where it was every other day uh, uh, Jared and Ivanka going to the New York Times and leaking about some new horrible thing that Trump was doing, but nobody doing anything about it. But yeah, that's what it is. They'll uh, talk shit about it in the press, but uh, nobody's actually going to take responsibility for it. Yeah. Um, you were You were right when you were talking about politics of old on display there was one uh ah, forgive me i don't have it up but there was a, a great piece that was basically titled uh, mccain funerals the largest resistance meeting yet <laughs> which which is a yeah. little bit interesting but the way that figures from both sides got up and talked about the politics of the past and how quantitatively different or qualitatively different it was it definitely seemed like it was reaching and ringing a, a very certain bell there intentionally. Yeah. I gotta say, it feels weird to see George W. Bush as rehabilitated as he is in this political environment. He was, he but, was never a bad guy, I feel like. He was a terrible president. He was... I, ridiculously unqualified for that job he had no experience in any of the levers of power he was a goofball he got there basically by by social uh advancement you know he was the son of a president so he got through yale with the c average and a little mm -hmm. cocaine and drunk driving and you know that was the 70s nobody cares don't show up the national guard whatever you know he was yeah. a jack off he had no business being president but he wasn't you'd well, be comfortable yeah, I mean... with him as a neighbor I guess would be the way. Yeah. I guess you could say a lot of the same about, you know, Jimmy Carter, you know, less, you know, he wasn't really a malicious president personally, but definitely screwed a lot of things up. Uh, but, you know, it took Carter probably decades before he became, you know, kind grandpa president. Uh, and I, I Bush... remember him showing up in the mid nineties with Habitat for Humanity and being like, yeah, everybody's grandpa. That That's was, a good 15 years. Yeah, you're, you're right. <laughs> Bush was, uh, yeah, it, it, time goes, uh, but yeah, I don't know. It, it's just still weird. You know, Bush is the only president that I've had dreams about getting into a fistfight with, but <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and now we'll find out if the Secret Service listens to this show. Exactly. <laughs> oh, man. But he's, 
I don't know. He he stands at least a little bit for the Trump world. The the thuggish nature yeah. of the the U.S. attorneys firing and and whatnot. It definitely laid a lot of the groundwork, but. Yep. I have a hard time putting him in the same category. Maybe he is rehabilitated, as scary as yeah. that is. Well, he definitely went out of his way to surround himself with people more evil than himself, or at least more obviously evil, like Cheney. You know what? I think one of the things that really does it for me is that Bush may have may have not really understood the stories of a lot of people and, and their needs and whatnot, but he was never openly racist as Trump was. He had a majority yeah. minority cabinet for a while in Texas. He mm -hmm. uh, appointed the first black secretary of state, the first black female secretary of state. He, Condi Rice was his best friend. He's got a wonderful relationship with Michelle Obama. He fucked up Katrina, but I don't think he did that out of animosity. I think he did it because he was rather stupid and unprepared for the presidency, which was the entire complaint about him. I, I don't yeah. know full Kanye on that. I don't think George Bush hates black people. <laughs> no. Oh. Kanye, he keeps getting it right, doesn't he? <laughs> <laughs> I just, you know, that says a lot about a person, though. Like, I, I do not, I don't believe for a second that George Bush was actively racist in anywhere near the same capacity that Trump marshaled the forces of intolerance. In order to push an agenda and that may make him easier to rehabilitate who knows i mean if he does things like he's been doing where he paints paintings and raises money for hurricane relief victims and doesn't try to start another war i might be happy with yeah. that <laughs> i would say even in the you know even in the moment there were things that i admired about him and especially if you think of them in today's light like you know after september 11th he very pointedly had a national service with an imam on stage. That was his first visit could after 9-11, was to a mosque. Could you could you yeah. imagine Trump doing that? Oh, God. I, oh, I, I don't even... I, I could see him doing it maybe with the secret police or something that he's going to haul them off to a, to a gulag. But yeah, yeah. Maybe it's that, that's good. definitely JJ's something you can't see Trump episode. doing. Yeah. <laughs> he might be a little upset right now. <laughs> All right, um, we'll we'll kind of stay on that topic, I guess, and bounce down to the Palestinian refugee story. Um, mm -hmm. The U.S. followed through on a Trump uh, a threat Trump made about six months ago. It has zeroed out our funding for the Palestinian Refugee Agency. This was set up after, uh, well, after the the series of wars in the '60s. I don't want to get them out of order, so. I'm just going to leave it there. But there's the Yom Kippur War, the Six Days War. There, there was a bunch there, and it left a lot of Palestinians stateless. Uh, the West Bank was occupied from Jordan. Um, the, Egypt had the Gaza Strip at one point. Israel grabbed that. The people who were living there had nowhere to go, and the UN has basically funded resettlement schools, things like that, for a number of years through this. And we're doing away with it. Um, there is been a, a certain long-standing animosity to organizations within the Palestinian government. The PLO started out as a terrorist group. Uh, Yasser Arafat mm -hmm. was actually part of that. Uh, CM rehabilitated as a statesman was actually something that gave a lot of people hope for the region. 
Um, but the Palestinian Refugee Agency is not associated with any of those things. It's purely a humanitarian fund set up through the UN, administered through the UN, to support the civilian Palestinian uh, population. This is incredibly cruel and inhumane, I think. Um, maybe I'm wrong on that, but there's nothing besides stick it to the brown people that motivates that decision. This is a, a nearly insignificant amount of money at the scale that the U.S. federal government spends. It makes up a fraction of a percent of our, our foreign aid spending, which is already a fraction of our budget. It is nothing. It's, it's yeah. motivated by oh. hate. I, I, I don't see any other reasoning behind that. Mm. Hate and politics. I mean, this is the kind of the kind of uh, move that keeps, you know, I think, the far right of the Republican base happy with Trump, especially with, uh, I guess, his his relationship with Christian fundamentalists tends to be described as uneasy. But this is the kind of policy that they like to see. You know, something that bashes on the Palestinians, uh, favors uh, the Netanyahu government. This is how he keeps them happy. This and judges. This really. is how he creates more terrorists. You don't see That's terrorists it. coming from a stable, happy people who are content with their own security. You you find it coming from a, a dispossessed group that feels powerless. And mm -hmm. the more the Palestinians have their world collapse on them day in and day out, the more you see their, their young men and young women become radicalized. This... This is literally stopping terrorism way more than dropping bombs on some hut mm -hmm. in Afghanistan is doing. Yeah, oh, but sure. he's, he's never really cared about that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's all through the political lens and stopping terrorism. I mean, I don't want to sound truly cynical, but why does he want to? You know, it's something that he can... Uh, grandstand against send more bombs to the middle east and be a war president i mean that was the most popular week this week of highest popularity was when he uh launched a lot of bombs at uh at syria for a day or so i mean we actually had troops on the ground for that we we'd land yeah. u.s forces we didn't stick around for long but yeah we put bodies in syria yeah well jesus yeah i mean can't I think leaving them there for any length of time would be insane, just in terms of all the political, geopolitical complications. Picking and... a side in a three-way civil war, like yeah, how is that going also, to do anything? Putting them potentially in a situation where they could get into exchange of bullets with Russians—that's another that <laughs> kind of jumps out at me. Like, no, 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 don't do that. Probably yeah. more jumps out at him. Yeah, oh, but that's very true. <laughs> And, you know, Putin sends him, like, a two-second clip from the P-tape. And, all right, right. <laughs> Got to pull the troops back. There was, um, I, I hate to throw a new topic in here, but you just reminded me. There was a little bit of information that came out of the Russia investigation this week that the State Department, um, or at least transition officials in the State Department from the Trump campaign, had approved the, the like, secret plan that Jared Kushner had to go use the Russian equipment to talk securely to Russia. That that boggled my mind. Wait, what? I, I... 
I, I think I don't somehow missed that this week. Yeah, there Too much stuff happens. I I don't think it's fully fleshed out, but in Papadopoulos's. Uh, oh, okay. oh, was it like, part of it? Yeah. Yeah, it it came out as part of his plea deal, uh, where he he stipulated to a number of facts, one of which is. Uh, the Trump campaign had knowledge of the uh, the attempt to get the secret back door to Russia through the Russian right. agency. Yeah. That seems like a big deal. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure we'll hear more. Real, blah, excuse me. Let me talk again. I'm sure we'll hear more about it. Wow. Yeah. Let me take a drink of water because I can't speak. That's that's going to be featured in some count of the eventual Kushner indictment. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, you mentioned grandstanding. Um, Let's bring that into the fold. Then the NAFTA talks with Canada fell apart. This follows a disastrous leak of a off-the-record Bloomberg meeting, um, although was not leaked by the Bloomberg folks. The guy who repeated the story has gone to the mat on that. Um, so that means somebody from Trump leaked it just so that the yeah. president could rail against it. Um, uh, in a or... Or accidental. Uh, someone I've read some other coverage that just pointed out he's incredibly sloppy sometimes about you know what that talking and other people being right. around. That is true, and you know a, a lot of this has to depend on how much you trust the word of a Canadian journalist. But the I don't mean to impugn him. I'm just saying I don't know <laughs> anything about Canadian journalism world. I know which reporters in the U.S. I trust. I don't in mm -hmm. Canada. Uh, but that reporter has been up and down the news today completely. He was saying he wasn't going to stay into it. He didn't want to be part of the story. But when he sees individual people being crapped on, he has to step up and be saying they weren't his source, that it was nobody <clears throat> from Bloomberg. So, I mean, if you accept as a premise that the only people in the room for the Bloomberg meeting were the Bloomberg editors and Trump's people, kind of narrows down where it came from. Oh, wow, yeah. That would be a real own goal. Yeah, well, I mean, Trump also, in his railing against it, first confirmed it was genuine, and then labeled it as fake, and then once more confirmed it was genuine. All in one tweet, mind you. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's... Well, first of all, it's the sort of thing where why does he feel like he has to make statements like that to the press anyway, even on off the record? It's How does that help anything really doesn't really help the uh, trade talks i'm not sure it really helps him politically especially if it leaks out maybe he's just trying to you know big dick the reporters basically he he can't help himself yeah. he's gotta you know brag about yeah oh i'm gonna screw over justin trudeau so good the canadians are gonna hate it and like oops <laughs> now the whole world gets to see it and now your deal doesn't happen at all which you know, again on the substance it you know it looked like he was on track to do something halfway decent. So it's really bizarre that he, well, of course, I guess he, if he was going to do something decent, he had to screw it up. So there you are. I, I solved my own question right there. He, he actually already screwed it up a little bit. He announced the Mexican trade deal before he had actually talked to the Mexican president. He announced <laughs> it as soon as the negotiators <laughs> were out of the room. Um, Jesus. And the Mexican president wants to get it done uh, before the new president takes office in Mexico. Right. Uh, mm -hmm. Friday was the 90-day mark that uh, needs to be met for congressional notification in order to get that done. The president notified Congress, uh, the U.S. president, Trump notified Congress of the Mexican trade deal and possibly a Canadian one, but they're letting that one slide. 
Um, the president of Mexico, uh, EPR, he goes by Enrique mm -hmm. something something. I'm sorry. Peña, Peña Nieto. There we go. Peña Nieto. He, uh, a lot of this comes down to I haven't taken Spanish since high school. So bear mm -hmm. that in mind. But I did live in California. So it's not a completely lost heart to me. I, I can stumble my way through a few sentences. But he made a, uh, a push on Twitter for Canada to join. There is a little bit of debate within our group over how much, uh, how strongly that statement was, but it does seem to be clear that he wants mm -hmm. Canada involved in some way in this. I, yeah. I, Canada, I don't think, should feel threatened at all, though. I, I mean, the U.S. is our largest trading partner that, partner, that much is clear, but they're also a member of a giant free trade network called the Commonwealth uh, the the British Commonwealth, the Commonwealth of formerly British colonies that are completely devoid of any tariffs and taxes between them on most things, they can find replacement markets for just about everything they're selling to us. I imagine. Just gonna say, yeah. No, go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was just gonna say they are a lot less NAFTA dependent because U.S. dependent than Mexico mm -hmm. is. Yeah. It, Canada is like I mentioned, the largest trading partner of the, the U.S., but I think that's mostly out of convenience. Like, I, I think Canada could say goodbye to us and sell the crap to India or Australia or the U.K. or any one of a number of countries that used to fly the British flag. I think the U.K. is going to be pretty desperate for uh, trading partners, so yeah, absolutely, yeah. yeah. That's true. <laughs> they, uh, they also did just sign a massive free trade deal with the European Union just uh, about a year ago that Came with a few hiccups, but in the end got done. Mm -hmm. So, I, yeah. yeah, Canada's sitting pretty. I mean, if, if Trump wants to make them beg, I don't see that they have a reason to beg. Yeah. Maple syrup basically sells itself, I mean. Yeah, I, I this whole this whole approach of this presidency has really been to kind of try and throw the weight around the world like it's still 1994 and everyone's still shocked that the Soviet Union is no longer a thing and American can do anything it wants and that's just not the case anymore you've had several decades of rapid Chinese growth uh, several decades of rapid growth in Brazil India you know there are Russia economic itself. powers yeah well yeah exactly and yeah Russia is the cornerstone of the BRICS nations or the R mm -hmm. Exactly. They're not the they're not the, in the same state they were in the 1990s when everything had fallen apart. Runaway inflation and the ruble, you know, losing 20 percent of its value overnight and crap. Yeah. Yeah. So just it, it's a it's a uh, an approach that might not have even worked then and certainly doesn't work now. Trump in the the talks with Bloomberg apparently said whenever they tried to raise a point, he just raises a picture of a, I think it was a Chevy Impala, made by GM in in Ontario. Uh, GM is an American company. In fact, until rather recently, the U.S. government had majority ownership of GM. Mm -hmm. They only divested themselves of that a couple of years ago. This seems like it does nothing but hurt American workers. The most of those parts for that car are made in America. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I don't know if the threat is that GM is somehow going to just relocate everything to keep in the American market or how he thinks that's all going to happen. It's going to be completely frictionless because the plants aren't there. They've been shut down. 
Uh, I don't know. I, I don't understand this uh, this uh, trade policy. It doesn't make any sense. Uh, and we've yeah. got a big showdown with China coming up. There are another $200 billion in tariffs that are going to be uh, announced this month. The public comment period comes to an end in just a few days, and Trump has heavily hinted that they're going into place as soon as that's over. Um, we're trying to throw our weight around with the WTO, possibly even pulling out of that. I don't know why. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, not that that's universally accepted as a good thing. We can all remember the the Seattle riots and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, but just to piss off people? I mean, it is the cornerstone of the world trade system at this point. You, you can't just get rid of it and expect everything to function hunky-dory. Yeah, I think I think Trump's thing is he really, you know, people have pointed out one of the most consistent things he's talked about is how other countries take advantage of the U.S. And so he takes a very real estate market negotiation response to that, which is, I'm going to screw you. I'm going to get you a really bad deal. You're going to be forced to give me what I want. Yeah. If it's a terrible deal for you, then it must be a good deal for me. Right. And the reverse is also true. If you come out happy, then I must have gotten screwed. Trade is not supposed to be a zero-sum game. <laughs> yes, we know that. Yeah. Well, you know, thousands of Econ 101 professors across the country are going to be very smug when <laughs> everything starts cocking up on account of this. Yeah. Jeez. All right. Uh, let's go ahead and do our, our primary recap. I assume yeah. would be a, a good one to do. We had, uh, well, there were several states that were up, but uh, I think the biggest news of the night came out of, of Florida, where a a unicorn won the Florida uh, governor's primary. <laughs> he, uh, he is a progressive who endorsed Clinton in 2016, but was endorsed by Bernie this election cycle. He is... Mm-hmm. Oops. Sorry, that's some unicorn magic. Yeah, yeah, he he won this race after polling in either third or fourth place. In most cases, he is backed by Democratic big money. At the same time that he's backed by our revolution, he's got George Soros and and Stare in his corner. Uh, he is also an an African American candidate. I don't want to pass that up. He is everything the Democrats have been looking for, basically. Mm-hmm. I don't think yeah. we could more perfectly sum up a, a cross-party appeal candidate than that. I, I, yeah, I think you've uh, summed up a lot of the really great stuff about Andrew Gillum, who is, uh, I, I guess the other thing is he's the mayor of Tallahassee, still is the mayor of Tallahassee. Um, it's probably, you know, I think some of the other ballot uh, effects that people are expecting as well is that, you know, it's going to uh, pump up African-American turnout, which there was some great concern might have not been as strong as it otherwise would have been. So hopefully this helps shore up the chances of uh, Bill Nelson to get reelected to the Senate. He's facing a very strong challenge from incumbent Governor Rick Scott, who is Lex Luthor. Uh, it must always be pointed out. Uh, yeah, so there's lots of good things to say about uh, Andrew Gillum. Uh, it's going to be a really ugly race the very first day of uh, the post-primary uh, uh, beginning of the general election indicated. He's running against 
uh, Ron DeSantis, who was handpicked by Trump and really doesn't have anything to offer except that Trump really likes him. And uh, DeSantis wasted no time at all uh, going out and turning it as racist as he possibly could. Uh, you see the... Uh, I, he referred I, to Gillum as a monkey while yeah, also calling say, him articulate. He said, yeah, you don't, the Florida voters can't monkey this up. And it's just, oh, he went there right away. And it's going to keep happening for the rest of this campaign. And it's going to be ugly as hell. Uh, because that's really how, if DeSantis wins, it's going to be by turning out racists and uh, getting a lot of support from white people in the panhandle. I mean, that's that's what it is. Not to be crude, but... That's yeah. where his support's going to be. On the other hand, that is, in some ways, Gillum's face. Tallahassee is a panhandle city, as, as real as they come. Right. Uh, isn't it... Is Tallahassee majority black? I was thinking it's kind of a... I mean, one of the, you know, southern, you know, chocolate cities like Birmingham or... Uh, yeah, I'm not sure. Uh, I'd have to look up the demographics. I am 100% see. already on it. All uh, right. Uh, no, it is not. Really? Yeah, it is 53% uh, non-Hispanic white, 57% white total, including white Hispanic, 35% black, and 6.3% uh, Latino of any race. All right, so very black, but not majority black. All right, all right. Yeah. Um, Good to know. It's... Uh, it, it has actually uh, roughly the the Florida statewide level of, of white residents, but it is mm -hmm. twice as black. It's substantially less Hispanic than Florida is as a whole. That's where the discrepancy comes in. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, there is a little bit of a, a controversy surrounding an FBI investigation into Tallahassee city politics, but so far Gillum has not been dragged into that personally. Right. I mean, the target is a lobbyist who I guess is a longtime friend of his yeah. and who might have paid for some things, but there's not at least a lot alleged so far that he was doing things as a favor to this person. So we, we talked about this a little bit on the Facebook group. It's kind of a very Menendez, very, very, very light, I would say, is, you know, potential implication there. It's also not clear there. how much this guy actually paid for. They did go on a vacation together, but according to Gillum's office, and I don't think anybody's alleged he's lying, he paid for his part of that trip out of his yeah. own funds. Um, so, yeah, there might be something going on there. Uh, in, in this news, and it's not necessarily primary related, but... Mm -hmm. uh, the Houston Chronicle surfaced the police report from Guido's uh, it is DUI back in 1998, and it is it is mm -hmm. much worse than I think we thought. Uh, Beto has Beto O'Rourke, who's running for Senate in Texas, has, has owned up to the, to that DUI. He's in fact kind of made it a, a central point of his stump speech, uh, and about you know how people grow and whatnot. He doesn't hide from it at all. He's always acknowledged it. It's been part of his life. But, uh, well, the police report is substantially more serious than a DUI. He, he crashes a car, attempts to flee from the police, and uh, throws punches at them when they do catch up to him. So it's maybe not so great. <laughs> uh, that was all 
wow yeah yeah i i don't know how much the fact that he's at, at least you know owned up to it's a mistake there's nothing i can say that makes it not a mistake i was young mm. and stupid uh yeah just, it was all 20 years ago so yeah, yeah the fact that he's owned up to it he doesn't try to deflect it he he very much brings it in as part of his personal brand might help out a little but mm. eh, it's not a good look yeah or well it could be a, it's a very good look if you want to go literally where they're showing a picture of his mugshot looking <laughs> sexy as hell like 90s Ben Affleck, but yeah. <laughs> uh, let's go to the Arizona primary where everything shook out basically exactly as we exactly as we thought. Kirsten Sinema mm-hmm. is the Democratic nominee. Uh, Mick Sally is the Republican nominee. Kelly Ward was held off. Joe Arpaio, despite doing nothing to campaign of that I can tell of any note whatsoever, managed to get 20% of the vote, which is kind of weird. He didn't air a single TV ad. I guess he went on a bus tour, but that was about it. No, that was the solid evil vote. That was the solid evil block. Right. The the irredeemably depraved, they were all right there for Arpaio. We want an evil fascist, so that's who we we voted for. According to filings, uh, Arpaio had no campaign expenditures except staff salaries and wrecking a bus. He he did nothing in that race. It was a total grift, yeah. (coughs) All right. Uh, And then the governor's race also looks like it might be interesting there. I mean, it's the sort of thing where if there is a real blue wave materializing i think there was a, some polls that show uh uh garcia within at least a couple of points of uh the incumbent governor doug goosey uh, doug Ducey. Ducey. yeah Ducey has one more chance to make a splash in that race he gets to appoint mccain's successor uh it, right it's past the time where there would be a special election so he gets to put somebody's butt in that seat for two years mm-hmm. um i i have to imagine that who he picks might play a role in that. Oh, sure. I mean, he's, if the race is close enough, then yeah, he's got to keep in mind, does he go with someone like Cindy McCain, where uh, that might annoy some far-right Republicans, the people that weren't happy with McCain in the first place and are worried that uh, Cindy is less conservative than McCain, which, yeah, I mean, he's McCain was a pretty conservative guy anyway, but it's easy to see how his wife might be less so. It, it does strike me as something that would be easy for him to do, though. If he went yeah. over, even if it pisses off some of the right, it earns a lot of goodwill from voters in the middle. I, McCain cruised to re-election. I, somebody asked sure. for, for numbers, and I, I mentioned that when put up against, in his last election, 2016, he ran against a popular female Democratic nominee who was a former governor of Arizona. He mm-hmm. outright won with the majority the female vote in that election. McCain is widely popular uh, among people of Arizona. I, I think if Ducey wants to sink his re or not sink, but Ducey wants to slam home his reelection, he appoints McCain's wife. I mean, not to think that that's necessarily a good thing. We're America; we shouldn't have dynasties. But yeah, mm-hmm. he'd earn a lot of goodwill in the state doing that. There's yeah. also a conspiracy that he could appoint Flake just to keep Flake around for two years. That was a big thing before Ward uh, lost the primary. People wanted to see that just to piss off Kelly Ward. Right. Well, Flake still has his own seat, so, I mean, I, I think he's going to do it sooner than that, but who knows? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay. 
and I guess we'll we'll fly through Oklahoma real quick, where the news of note in that is it completes nearly a full sweep of every Republican state legislature that uh, legislator that voted against a teacher pay raise. Uh, I believe only two have survived in total out of 19, if I was doing the math right and counting everything up. Yeah. Uh, and they were all toppled, not in general election matchups, but Republican primaries or, or forced resignations. Uh, this was yeah. something done internally cleaning house in the Republican Party, which is not something you often see. And uh, a couple of the replacements are actually teachers. Yeah. Oh, and over taxes, no less. I mean, there was a little bit similar to that in Kansas, but I think this is a much more across the board sweep and good because yeah, it, it's been, you know, that's kind of as terrible as it gets that, you know, we're not going to fund the government even to pay for something <laughs> as basic as education. Absolutely. Uh, speaking on that subject, uh, how about education in the state of Washington? All right, let's go to the state of education in the state of Washington. So yeah, the big news this week is that a number of school districts have already been on strike. There was a threat uh, that Seattle School District, the teachers union there would also be on strike starting Tuesday as of the last 24 hours that has been diverted and a tentative agreement has been reached but yeah, it's been all over the state. Districts have been coming right up to the edge of not being able to start this year uh, over negotiations with their teachers union. And what's really happening there is kind of a lot of things. You know, we've seen several states this year where there have been big strikes, you know, statewide strikes, uh, trying to get both increased funding for education, but also increased salaries for teachers. I mean, that's been the case in West Virginia and Oklahoma, like we just talked about in Arizona. And these were also states where teacher pay was scandalously low, you know, where, you know, I think you'd have you know, starting teachers making, you know, $30,000 a year or less, just insane. Uh, I think some of the factors that have been leading into that so far, and it's probably a play here as well, is uh, leading back to the Janus decision this summer. Uh, Teachers are the largest group of unionized public employees in the country, uh, probably the most unionized profession that exists in the country right now, period, actually. Uh, and you know, this is the group that uh, Scott Walker was going after in Wisconsin, uh, also the uh, target of Republicans in Iowa and Missouri and other states where they've tried to go right to work. And Right now, they're all under threat from the Janus decision because, you know, suddenly a lot of uh, you have probably had a lot of uh, otherwise fairly conservative people in the profession who might not want to participate in a union are suddenly given the option to receive all the services and benefits of union membership without actually having to pay dues or fees or be a member in any way whatsoever. So there's been a lot of pressure on unions generally, but yeah, especially on education and teachers unions to show some value to members. You know, here's what you get out of being a member of your your local teachers union. And so that's been, you know, the push for all these raises in other states. And that's also the play here. WEA has been pushing, uh, I think statewide basically, for 15% increases for teachers this year. So even more than what's been pushed for in Washington, in uh, Arizona or Oklahoma or West Virginia. Uh, the local 
kind of flavor here that's been going on is that the legislature's already pumped a lot of money into the education system. Uh, the McCleary decision, which we actually talked about back way back on the first episode of this show, uh, was a decision by the state Supreme Court, which was directing the legislature to provide more equitable funding for education across the state, that they neglected its, quote, paramount duty to educate uh, students and provide equal access to education. So uh, what the legislature's been doing is increasing funding, but at the same time, phasing out the role, or at least significantly reducing the role, of local levies and taxes in education funding at the school district level. So they've set caps on what the school district can actually, what school districts can tax their local populations and use that to pay for educator salaries. And so it's been kind of a phase in process. They've massively increased the funding this year, uh, starting January 1st, 2019, all these districts start losing in turn a lot of their local funding support. Uh, so th there's about a billion dollars of extra money that's been flown in there. And so teachers are going for it. Uh, classified staff unions are going for it as well. Uh, the legislature also, though, put in a mandate along with this bill uh, that they, the, with the funding for this, uh, these coming school years, that school districts could not increase their wages by uh, a certain amount, whether it was the rate of inflation or if uh, groups of employees were significantly below the statewide average, they could raise it up to the average. And that's what the unions have been pushing against, trying to get these districts to go past, because so many of them that are already settling are basically ignoring that law and uh, approving increases that far exceed what the legislature has allowed them to do. And that's been interesting, too. Uh, it's led to a lot of big fights, and I'm guessing that's where most of the standoff is happening in southwest Washington right now. You've probably got several districts that, at least with their uh, certificated teacher units, they are at the cap, and so they're not really able to go beyond the 3.1% that's the legislature's directed. But the unions are pushing for that anyway because that's really what's happening across the state, and everyone's ignoring it. Uh, the uh, is it uh, an actual law? Can they ignore it? It is an actual law. Uh, however, what's been—it's just been a massive contradictions too, because yeah, they passed this law that said you can't increase salaries beyond this amount. Although we're giving you all this extra money, and we're not putting anything in the law that enforces it or provides any consequences if you break it. Okay. And then uh, a couple of weeks ago, the uh, superintendent of public instruction, the state you know, school superintendent, uh, released a memorandum basically saying that he thought the law itself was too vague and the limit does not, not exist. So go nuts. <laughs> you, know, okay. what, you know, pass whatever increases you can afford to pass. And so that's fueling it because you've got a lot of these districts that are still trying to cling to this, oh, no, no, what if we get audited? Uh, what, if, uh, what if what this happens? What if that happens? So they're trying to desperately cling to the law as uh, some way to avoid going past the uh, limit that's been set and commit themselves to large increases. Although <clears throat> I think you're also likely to see some changes to the law as well in the next year. Uh, the bill that was passed last year that put all this money into play set these limits and made all these contradictions. Part of the reason it is that way 
is because it was passed by basically a bipartisan compromise. You had the Democratic House, Republican Senate, both of them basically 50-50. And this is all they could manage to agree on. You know, there were some significant differences between how the Democrats wanted to approach the problem, you know, and it all gets pretty stereotypical at that point because it was all about, you know, more taxes, just generate the revenue and then push it out. And the Republican emphasis was much more on robbing Peter to pay Paul, particularly robbing Western Washington school districts that were Western Washington localities that primarily elect Democrats and tend to raise their own local taxes. They wanted to see more of a raid on their ability to self-fund and use that to fund more Eastern Washington school districts that elect Republicans and don't raise taxes to fund their own school districts. Uh, so that was really the divide, and uh, that the, the bill that they came up with was a kludge of those two approaches. But you know, as we've kind of talked about in the last few weeks, the composition of the legislature has a strong chance of changing uh, pretty radically in this next election, and so there may be a chance for all of them to revisit this and come up with something completely new by next spring. I, I think it's likely we'll see that. You mentioned Southwest Washington being a hot spot. I can personally confirm that most of the school districts uh, just over the the river in Washington there, at least around Portland, are, are mm -hmm. closed for the strike now. It seems like Seattle avoided it, though. They came very close. They came right up to the edge. But, yeah, I was actually looking that up. They just announced today that they reached a tentative agreement yesterday. So, yeah, there won't be a strike in Seattle, assuming that, you know, the uh, teachers vote to ratify the contract. All right. Um, I, I do want to squeeze one more thing in before we go to what we're following this week, and forgive me for that. But, Dan, have you, and Chris, I'm assuming a no from you since you never lived in Alaska, but have you been following the, the Lido thing up there, Dan? Oh, uh, mostly just what Will's been posting, but it sounds yeah. wild. It sounds very Gabrielle Ledoux, honestly. Crazy things happen to her. It uh, There's a, a trailer park in, in East Anchorage in her district that has a ridiculous number of vote, voters registered to different trailer parks in it. They all have a slightly different address for the same lot space, and the addresses that they're listed at don't exist. Um so they're all being treated as being in this trailer park. And it, it's people like the the actual man she hired from California to come help out her campaign. Charlie Chang is on there. Um, people who are answering the doors at these trailer parks have no idea who these people are who are registered there. Uh, to give some backstory, Lado, Gabrielle Lado, Gabby Lado, mm -hmm. is a, a member of Alaska's bipartisan legislative majority. It's a coalition between some moderate Republicans and Democrats to run the chamber in the way that they feel is is best uh, in the face of opposition from, I believe, just hardline conservative Republicans, although I, I do believe there used to be a couple of conservative Democrats in there back in the day. Uh, but the coalition yeah. is nothing new. It, it's fairly old by Alaska standards. I remember it being a thing when I was in high school. I think it went away for a couple of years and then came back. But there is a, a generally broad effort to run the the chamber in a fairly bipartisan way um mm -hmm. she she was a member of that bipartisan coalition uh angering some republicans she drew a challenge in the uh the primary and it wound up incredibly close she uh actually lost the election day vote by i think four votes 
Um, but then when they were checking out the absentee votes, of which there was a large number, um, a large number returned, excuse me, as undeliverable, probably because of this trailer park thing and questionable ballots. She ended up winning rather handily, at least by Alaska standards, up by a couple hundred. But uh, it seems like there's some some hokey stuff at play. And I'm, I'm wondering if we might see an actual election annulment. Yeah, uh, it's bizarre, especially when it's so close, then that, you know, calls into, well, calls into question, yeah, whether or not the election itself can be annulled or if there is responsibility for it that extends to the actual campaigns if somebody ends up getting criminally charged with, uh, you know, election fraud or conspiracy to commit election fraud or something along those lines, which may end up you know, de facto annulling the election anyway if the person can't serve in the legislature. So, yeah, it's just bizarre. You know, uh, Anchorage politics are particularly strange, and Ledoux, uh, known of her for a good 15, 16 years, and her political career itself is quite strange. Uh, she's kind of gone back and forth between being a Democratic mayor, uh, ran against an incumbent representative. She started her career actually on Kodiak, the island of Kodiak, not in Anchorage. Uh, but yeah, well, there she was a Democratic mayor. She ran against a Republican incumbent who was appointed by Frank Murkowski, uh, beat him, was just a fairly cons- moderate to conservative member of the Republican caucus for several years. Uh, then she quit, she moved to Anchorage, and then, yeah, ran for another district again as a Republican, got elected. It's been several years, just been a mostly loyal Republican in terms of how things go. And then in the last election, she joined with what, you know, they're calling the Muskox Caucus to flip the chamber and put Democrats in charge. And, yeah, it's just kind of been a zigzag career for her. So this is just kind of one more odd chapter in that. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm assuming this is going to go to the Alaska State Supreme Court at some point. I mean, Charlie Chain is already back in California, but he is quite possibly the centerpiece of this, including his registration. Cal- I know this very well yeah. because it actually hung me up from registering to vote in Alaska the most recent time I moved back. But California... You stay registered to vote there until you actually tell them that you are no longer a resident of that state, and then you can register somewhere else. He never dropped his California registration, so if he was registered in two states at once for this election and voted, I mean, that's the leader of your outreach for your campaign, committing voter fraud right there and looking significantly like he's attached to these other cases of voting fraud. Yeah. Well, the relationship there seems a little weird. I didn't get the impression he was like a key campaign figure, but he was a guy that she was throwing money at to go out and get people to vote. Uh, get specifically, out to vote. Um, Eastern, Southeastern Asian communities, and I believe the home yeah. in uh, like in actual drill down demographic, but Southeast Asia in generally, uh, in general, excuse me, and that does kind of match up with his name. I've never heard about the guy before, but he's apparently a a veteran political operative of some huh. renown within that community. He's done yeah. work in, in Minnesota before, which has a very large Hmong community. Interesting. I did not realize that, yeah, he was a multi-state operation, but uh, yeah. Huh. yeah. I mean, the, the image I got was like, you know, The Wire, where, you know, when they're, you know, 
having guys going out, handing out cash and getting people to vote, you know, that sort of thing. Maybe not that explicitly corrupt, but, you know, I, that was the image I had. It might be something kind of like that, actually, to be honest, the more I'm looking at it. And maybe just kind of went unnoticed in states larger that he participated in. I mean, I don't want to mm -hmm. cast aspersions. I, I know basically nothing about his political career behind that, besides that. But yeah. uh, maybe this is actual graft that went unnoticed in states with millions of voters. But when you have uh, a district like you saw in Alaska that had a grand total of like 700 votes returned for this election, it's, it's more noticeable. Yeah. I mean, my, my initial thought is why would somebody bother to steal 26 votes? But yeah, if only 700 people are voting, that is, that could be a margin. Wow. Yeah. Strange, strange story. All right. Uh, we'll finish this up with what we're following uh, this week. I will go first because it is a special time of the year for me. It is the mm -hmm. return of college football season. Uh, today was the, the first real kickoff game. I believe Hawaii played earlier like they usually do. Um, but today was the day for most of the country. Uh, Chris, you will love to know that our Golden Bears kicked, uh, oh, I wouldn't say kicked the ass, but beat <laughs> North Carolina, beat NC. Uh, so a successful start to our season. We ran three quarterbacks for some reason. Uh, that's not going to work long term, so we need to pick one. But... Uh, other than that, it was a, a pretty successful outing. Uh, Texas lost, which I always love to see. Uh, not just because I think Texas is an overrated state, but there is a large amount of animosity between Cal's fan base and Texas' fan base over a certain 2004 trip to the Rose Bowl that Mac Brown won on national TV and cried like a little bitch to steal from us. Um, but it is, it, I love the pageantry. I love the, the, the tradition. I love the bands, I love the students, I love everything about college football, and it is the best time of the year. So that is what I am watching this week. How about you, Chris? What are you doing this week? Well, I'm actually doing something kind of interesting that I've never done before, which is a friend of mine is running for mayor of San Leandro and has asked me to help out on writing some campaign speeches for him. Oh, hey. So that's I'm awesome. Give that a try. Yeah. My uh, my very first, actually, no, not my very first, but one of my first political jobs uh, when I was, got like nineteen, was writing uh, online copy for the John Edwards campaign. Mm. So, it, it, it's, it's a lot of fun. You'll enjoy it. How about you, Dan? What are you doing this week? What I am doing, I we are counting down right now. At least as far as I'm concerned, we are just over two days away from the, or I guess two and a half days away from the U.S. release of Dragon Quest XI. <laughs> yeah, I, it is, I, I don't joke around. Dragon Quest is my favorite video game series going back like 30 years, like since I was a little kid. And uh, yeah, this is going to be the first mainline Dragon Quest release in the United States since 2000 and six no 2005 it's been 13 years and this game looks amazing uh a lot of the uh classical elements are being brought back uh i guess for those of you that are nerdy enough to know about 
the plot and origins of the Dragon Quest story. It looks like it. there's a lot of references to the original three games in the series, one, two, and three, and the uh, legendary hero from that uh, from those first games, uh, Erdrich, or in Japan, Loto, I guess is how his name is used over there. Oh, it's just such a great series. It's so much fun. It's so much joy. The Creatures have you been importing bootleg Japanese copies of the mainline series? I did with 5 and 6, which did not get a U.S. release until 2008. So I had to play those on ROMs back in the late 90s, early 2000s. Uh, but yeah, yeah. They, they, it's, man. <laughs> I've been waiting, waiting, waiting for something big like this, and now here we are. We're a couple days away, and so I am ready to explode. I've got I've got my copy pre-ordered. Uh, unfortunately, Square Enix hates taking money from Americans and they try to discourage it as much as possible. So they have, even though it's been pre-ordered, they're shipping it by the slowest, slowest means possible. So I'm actually not <laughs> going to get it maybe till the end of the week or later, but uh, I will be waiting. I, I thought I saw it was coming to Steam. It is. It is going to be on Steam, but I went and I got the deluxe uh, physical copy edition, which uh, comes with all kinds of other goodies, and they charge you an extra $100 for, but I am a dork. So if it's going to take two or three weeks to ship here from Japan, would you spend the money to buy a copy on Steam just to play it while you wait? I might. What I've kind of <laughs> thought about doing, what I've thought about doing actually is, well, going out and seeing if any of our friends wants a copy for PlayStation, and I would just buy an extra one at Kroger on Tuesday. But I figure I've got enough that's going to distract me for the next few days. I've still got some crazy work stuff coming this week that maybe I can distract myself until that. But we'll see. I might be too much of a junkie. I might break down by Thursday and run out and get it. We'll see. All right. Yeah, I uh, I actually played through. I think it was the fourth entry in the series on uh, oh, okay. my Raspberry Pi retro console. It was the the SNES Dragon Quest. It, it was it was pretty fun. I classic stuff. Yeah. Yeah, I I I might try it out on Steam. I might spend the money on it. So we'll see. Mm -hmm. Might have converted me. All right. All right, guys. Uh, thanks for being with me this week. Uh, this has been your September first edition of Cascadian Views. Have a great week. You too. Have a good one, guys. Bye. Bye.